welcome everybody to Drunk Dudes in a Gun Room. You know, today is going to be a fun episode. I can guarantee that. Today we have got Lord Tim Heal. He is a number one bestseller on Amazon. He was in the British Royal Army from an infantry soldier to an experienced psyops. Um, trust me when I tell you that he has done a bunch of stuff. Um, we're going to get into it. So let's bring on Tim. Hey, how's it going there, Tim? Thanks for having me, Donald. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, I, you know, I have been looking forward to it for the last couple of weeks. Happened to reschedule broke my heart because this I know this yeah. is going to be a fun podcast. Well, I mean, uh, we're talking about my favorite subject, <laughs> me. <Yeah. laughs> yep, yep. So uh, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit of uh, back history. Uh, what what brought you to, to the military? And uh, tell them a little bit about yourself. God, blimey. Well, it starts with a little, little way back. Um, I, was, I was born and brought up on a farm uh, here in England. And up to the age of 10... I was going to be a farmer. I was going to follow my grandfather and my uncles uh, into farming. Now, at the age of 10, uh, over here, you take what was then called the 11 plus. Now, the 11 plus is like uh, to see how clever you are. Now, unbeknownst to me, I suffer from a little bit of dyslexia back then, and I still do to this day. But that's besides the point. Anyway, I took, took the 11 plus and failed it miserably. <laughs> Then, then I was going to go to an agricultural boarding school, and to be able to go to that boarding school, I had to um, I had to go and take an entrance test. It's a bit like the eleven plus. <laughs> well, you got it. I failed that miserably as well, and didn't get a place to go to this agricultural school. The knock-on effect of that is, I couldn't really go into farming unless I wanted to be a labourer, and I didn't fancy that. I, I fancy sort of. Yeah. So I thought, right, can't go to farming, what do I do? I'll go and join the army. So at the age of 14 and three quarters, you're allowed to go and take the test to join the army, and join the army at sort of 15 and a half. So I went and took the, the test, went up to the recruiting office, took the test, Failed that miserably. The recruiting sergeant, he says to me, son, if you can't read right proper like what I does, you've got no chance of getting in the army. Well, I suggest you go and have a chat with yourself and uh, do a bit of learning and then maybe come back in a year or two uh, to see if you've got any chance then. Well, that was a bit of a blow. So that weekend, I went away and I gave myself a stern talking to and uh, the following week, I went to school and I spent an awful lot of time bunking off because I just didn't get on with school. Uh, but I went into every class, every lesson that week. Half of the teachers thought I was a new student. <laughs> They'd never seen me. <laughs> anyway, so, so I knuckled down for about six months. I worked my socks off. Um, and I went back to the recruiting office with a mate of mine, uh, who's a bit cleverer than I, and um, 
I was human, says, all right, sit down, lads. There's the test papers. Look, I, I trust you. I've got to pop out and do something else, but get on with the test and I'll come back and mark it later. Anyway, did the test. We mate gave us a few of the answers. Signed. No problem at all. <laughs> You're good enough for the infantry. So on the 5th of August, 1974, I turns up at the uh, the depot of Queen's Division as a junior soldier in the Royal Anglia Regiment. And that's where my career started, way back in 74. I was, uh, I was negative two months. <laughs> <laughs> I can only apologise for that. It had nothing to do with me. <laughs> Yep, yep. So, uh, you know, you, one thing I, I said we was going to talk about um, is is the training. So, yeah, how long, how long is is y'all's basic training and and your your advanced training? Well, back then, as a junior soldier, um, we did a twenty four week course as junior soldiers. Okay. Um, at the end of that 24 weeks, we had a couple of weeks leave and then we came back and we did another 12 weeks as adult training. Okay. Now, the, 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 the junior training was a bit harsh um, because it was made up of lads a bit like me that weren't the sharpest academic types. <laughs> but we was more physical types. Right. Um, and it was physical. And we had a platoon sergeant and uh, the corporals were pretty rough. But a platoon sergeant was hard as nails. He was a battalion boxer. And you had two opportunities. You muck up the first time, you get a warning. You muck up the second time, there's two punishments. You can accept my punishment or you can go on orders and lose money. I'll take your punishment. And that generally was a dig. Hurt <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like hell. <laughs> Trust yep. me. But it was better than having <laughs> pay taken off you. Yep. Which back in them days was pretty poor. I must admit, we was on, um, we was on, what? £4.72 a day. <laughs> and out of that, and out of that, they, there was deductions and all sorts. So by the, yeah. by the time you went and did, did your panty drive your paper and saluted, you got about five bob back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I know, so for us, it's like uh, our basic training is about eight weeks. Um, and then our advanced training is another 13 to 14 on average. It, it depends on what your, your job is going to be. Um, so ours is a lot less than, than what your guys's are. And, uh, our first eight weeks sounds real similar to, uh, to what your, your yeah. first 24 was. Um, but, uh, the pay for me, you know, I, I mean, I came in in 94. So, you know, I, I came in 20 years later, but you know, I still remember, I think everybody remembers that first paycheck. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, mine was like 
for the month I made 700 and like 30 bucks. I think it was for the month is, is about what I got. Um, so I think that's something that's ingrained in every soldier is, is that first paycheck. Maybe it's just because of how young we were because, because yeah. at the time I was ecstatic. I thought that was pretty good. You know, <laughs> I look back now and I'm like, how did we even live off that? <laughs> yeah. Well, we never did. I mean, they, 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 they took off, um, but at £4.72, they took off food and accommodation charges. Yeah. Um, and any incidentals that you, you run up against, if you lost some kit, you get charged for it. Uh, buying fags for the corporal. And yeah, it was it it, it was like slave labour. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the daily routine was that we, we were in a hut of uh, about 20 beds and 20 lockers. And every morning we had to take down a bed build a bed block um that's using your, your blankets and your your sheets to to stack up into a block and um and then you have to lay all your your kit out on your bed in a particular particular way and it had to be really stiff and that first six weeks i don't think uh anybody survived <laughs> an inspection with that having their, their their bed upturned or or their locker going out the window or yeah it was uh it was a real muck about um after the after the first six weeks that's when we sort of passed off the square so that first first six weeks was pretty much physical pt and square bashing so yep. there's lots and lots of marching rifle drills and stuff like that lots of pt yep getting us uh Get us fit, and um, we marched off the square, passed off the square. Um, but it, I'll tell you how, how rough it was. We started off with three platoons um, with about 100 strong in the platoon. By the time we passed off the square, our platoon was down to 30, and so was the others. I think it was it was, it was a pretty brutal regime, and they certainly weeded out the weaklings. Yeah. Um, it got a little bit easier after that. We we got an inspection probably once a week, um, full kit on, on the bed and all the rest of it. Um, and then we went on to lots of different training and, 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 and different weapon systems and, and different tactics. That was that was the rest of it. Did quite, quite a lot of sports, um, played a, a lot of rugby back then, did a lot of running, um, a lot of PT every day. Yeah, that 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 twenty four weeks was pretty full on. We got yeah. to do some adventurous training. Um, we got two lots. We got um, we got an early lot. We we went up to the um, to the mountains in England, and we did some potholding, a bit of climbing, and, and stuff like that. Uh, and then in the I think it was the March. We got a job opportunity to go to Germany to Bavaria to go skiing, uh, and we had sort of two weeks skiing in Bavaria. Then we went across to to adult training, and um, that we joined them at their twelve week point, um, and we 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 did their last twelve weeks of training, which was more infantry stuff, more weapon systems, um, before we got posted off to. Our battalions. 
and I got posted off to the second battalion, the Royal Anglian Regiment, known as the Poachers, mm-hmm. and that that comes from the the Lincolnshire Poachers, uh, which were the tenth uh, of foot back in the day, and um, I joined them in Munster in Germany uh, with a few a few of the other lads, and um, yeah, spent a year in Germany before we got posted back to England. What uh, what part of Germany were you in? Uh, we was in Munster, Westphalia. Okay. So if you if you look at Germany, it's about the middle. If you come across from uh, the Hook van Holland, come almost straight across, you got uh, Munster is just north of Osnabrück, okay. and just south of um, Bremen. Okay. I did. Uh, I was I was over there for three years in uh, Baumholder. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's further south. Yep. yep. Yeah. So Munster was great. Um, it was it was a real proper drinking culture back then. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was the part about Germany I liked. I can I can tell you that much. You know. Yeah, I mean the the sort of um, you wouldn't see the officers probably saw saw the platoon commander once maybe twice a week. Um, the platoon sergeants, um, you'd see them up until lunchtime, mm-hmm. um, and you wouldn't see them again because they'd be down the, the the science mess at lunchtime, and that was their day done. Um, the corporals weren't too bad um, because we uh, were a mechanised battalion. We had um, what we call four three twos, which was uh, armoured personnel carriers. Um, so we spent a lot of time working on vehicles, cleaning, maintenance, and all that sort of thing. Um, and that was Germany. So we, we'd normally knock off at sort of four o'clock in the afternoon and get uh, and get down into the. Uh, we, we it was an old Nazi camp, uh, an SS a Waffen SS camp that mm-hmm. we were on, uh, and down in the basements um, we set up company clubs. Uh, so so we go down there after work, have a few sherbets, um, and then about sort of seven or eight o'clock, go and get changed, then go downtown uh, and be, <laughs> be downtown on a few more sherbets, getting back at sort of two, three o'clock in the morning, couple of hours kip up at sort of six, half seven, uh, six, half six, going out for a run before breakfast. <laughs> we were yep. functioning alcoholics, basically. Yep. I, I think that is like the primary uh, job of every soldier. I, it doesn't matter what country you come from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every soldier. <laughs> it's, of course, it's a lot different nowadays. Um, it, is. it is a lot different nowadays. I don't think the, the young fellas would be able to cope, but <laughs> their livers wouldn't cope with it. That's for a short start. <laughs> no. No, I, I I do have my doubts that uh, some of the uh, the soldiers nowadays could uh, could handle the the things that we put our bodies through yeah that, that is that is true we, we were a different breed that's for sure so i i remember I'll, I'll tell you a funny story um i i only been to england one time it was a very very brief overnight stay we were on our way to um afghanistan and uh we laid over in england i don't even remember where we were I'd at. have been Bryce Norton, I guess. Unless you. you went to 
unless you went to American base, and that would have been um, American base. On American base, that would have been Lakenheath. Okay. Um, it's over in Norfolk, Suffolk Bay. Okay. Um, so we we landed there to refuel, and the plane broke down. And uh, <laughs> so we stayed overnight. And uh, me and the guys decided we were going to go downtown and, and find a restaurant and, and have a couple drinks and, and get some food. And uh, okay, we found, so it was off that into Thetford, was it? I, I, I honestly, I don't remember. Um, as a matter of fact, by the time the night ended, I barely remembered the night. <laughs> <laughs> so we found this little, I guess it was a bar that they served food too. And, uh, um, I, I experienced my first black and tan there and, uh, we started drinking and, uh, then we started doing liquor and somebody, <laughs> somebody asked the girls there what time they closed. And they said, when you stop drinking, <laughs> got looking. <laughs> yep. And that sounded like a challenge. So we kept drinking and then they told us that, um, that the rest of the drinks were free, but we had to drink what they were making. And mm -hmm. I don't remember anything after that. <laughs> the guys told me the next morning that on our way back, I was stopping people asking them if they seen bin Laden, that we were looking for them. <laughs> <laughs> that was well, you eventually, eventually found him then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eventually, you know, but man, it was the longest flight to Afghanistan. I oh man, I was so hungover that next morning. I have no clue what was in those drinks, but I was miserable the next day. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I still remember when they lowered that ramp. We landed. It was like in July, and uh, it was like noon in Kandahar, man. And uh, I, I didn't think I had anything left in my body to <clears throat> or crap out or anything anymore. And when that ramp came down, I started dry heaving. When that heat hit me, I said, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, it tad was, warm, was it? Yeah, oh, it was hot. It was mm. hot. Man. But it was a good time. <laughs> so anyway, after... Uh, spending a year in 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 Munster in Germany, we got posted back to England to mm -hmm. a place called Gilligan in Kent, and we were there for two years. Well, say we were there for two years. We was away more than we was there. Um, we did a, a Northern Ireland tour from there. That was my first tour of Northern Ireland in nineteen seventy seven. Uh, we went to. The Bally Murphy in Belfast, West Belfast. And that was a tasty tour. We had lots and lots of different incidents. We had um, rocket attacks. We had riots nearly every other day. Um, we, we had shootings. You name it, we got into it. Riots, I mean, just riots were just ridiculous. It just sparked. Just which all we had to do is walk into <laughs> to the bull ring and it kick off. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had we had a rough old time there, um, and, and it was it, it was hard because we had to get other units in to help us out because we were so fragged. Yeah. 
we we were probably working 18 hours a day most days the only time you got a little tiny bit of rest was when you was in camp on sangers which was you were guarding the camp and we had i think five sangers around the camp plus the gate to look after and the back gate so we got two gates and five sangers so that took up the whole section yeah. so a whole platoon would be on that and you'd be doing two hours on four hours off then you'd be on patrols for two days we had, we had a six day week rolling week mm-hmm. um so we'd do two days of patrols and when you're out on patrol you was out on patrol best part of 12 15 sometimes 18 hours a day then then you were on um qrf so you came off the sangers you went on to qrf quick reaction force and that meant that you were sat in the waiting room ready to go at a moment's notice if something kicked off and it generally did <laughs> so when you're on qrf you crashed out all the time um so by sort of halfway three quarters away through the, the tour we, we were getting other units in to come out and help us do patrolling and stuff like that um we lost a few guys on that tour um blown up um and shot at and shot um one particular incident we've been out there for about two months and my four-man brick um my section commander uh, he always traveled uh on the front left I was on the front right of the section. I had a guy called Terry behind me. He had a guy called Chris behind him. And during training, we, we'd practice. We'd come around the corner, change. So we'd just swap sides. Um, but we never did it once we got out there. So we've been out there for about two months. And we came out of the place called the Moyard. We came down into uh, Spring Hill Avenue. Mm-hmm. And as we came around the corner, he said, change. What? So we swapped sides. We hadn't gone more than 50 metres down this, this road and two shots rang out. Um, one hit him and went straight through his groin and out of his backside. The other one went in through somebody's kitchen. I fired back two rounds. The first round must have winged past this bloke's head because he dropped the weapon and scarped. The second one, because it was going up, I took out a stained glass window Corpus Christi Church in the Moyard. (laughs) 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 So, glass everywhere. But when he, because I I fired the second round, looked over, saw him hit the ground. And as he's he's hit the ground, he's he's got onto the radio, because he was the only one with the radio, of course. Didn't have a lot of comms back in them days. He sent a contact report. He said, hello, one, this is one, three, bravo, contact, Spring Hill Avenue, send Starlight, I've been shot in the arse, out. <laughs> <laughs> so after after he sent that contact report, it got really, really scary because the street started to fill up. Yeah. There was just the four of us. We lost the rest of the, 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 the platoon. They were still stuck up the other side of the... Uh, the Springfield Road. They didn't get to us till about three minutes, four minutes after the contact report went out. The ambulance arrived just before them. It was a Saracen ambulance. So it's an armoured ambulance. So 
we dragged him into the into this alleyway, followed up one thing or another. We we recovered the weapon, which was an M1 carbine, courtesy of you guys. Thank you very much. Um, and it still had a few rounds left in it, so um, they could have taken us all out if I if I were any good. They weren't. Um, yeah, and a fortnight later, after he was Kazivacked out, um, I got blown up with another lad. Um, we got crashed out. We were on QRF. We got crashed out to what they call Kelly's Corner, which is um, the junction of Springfield Road, White Rock Road. And as we got up there, the, 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 the um, post office van was being sort of bricked and things. Uh, they started chucking stones and things at us. So we extracted around the back of the, the houses on the corner. And as we were going over the fence to come around a different way, um, there's some clown it a tit and um, done a command debt. Blew two of us up. My mate copped most of it. Um, and he had, I think, somewhere around about 175 stitches up his back. I had a big nugget on my head where I landed on my suite. Um, I got blown up into the air and landed on my head. They took him off to hospital. <laughs> I was left on the streets for another six hours. Yeah. Well, we did a follow-up on this, and I, I, I was suffering concussion, and I, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't hear a thing. <laughs> I was Mutt and Jeff yeah. um, because of the explosion. Yeah, pretty grim time, that tour. Um, but we got back off of that tour. We did some other – we had some other fun stuff. Um, we did uh, a trip to Italy. We did a, an exchange with the Alpinis. That was fun. Um, we we spent sort of the first two weeks chasing them up and down dry slopes and stuff like that in the mountains. Um, and, and it was quite funny because they get a sachet of brandy for breakfast and, and some porridgey type stuff. I mean, we were eating the same as what they were eating. Pasta for lunch and dinner um, and lots of wine. So we were, we were pissed most of the time. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we, we, we spent we spent three weeks chasing the Alpines around the mountains. And then we went down to uh, Venice. Uh, and we, we had a, a sort of a long weekend break down in Venice before coming back. Um, we did a Norway, did a Norway tour, um, which was great fun. We did an exercise in Denmark. Uh, that was quite fun. Um, we were we were guarding this road, and uh, this American truck came down. <laughs> so, so we opened up, and it stopped it. And it was a ration truck. <laughs> <laughs> we we spent the rest of the exercise eating American rations. <laughs> I I apologize for that because the rations are definitely not very good. I'm sure they call them MREs. Yep. Uh, uh, <laughs> what, what do they call them? Uh, Meals ready to eat. Yeah, no, we call them something else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't, remember. Can't remember what we called them. Um, yeah, they were like cardboard. <laughs> they, they, back then, they were, those were the dark brown ones too, right? Yeah, the, yeah. The dark brown. Yeah. This, this is this is back uh, around about 70, yeah. 76, 1976, somewhere around about there. Yeah. yeah, K rations. <laughs> yep, 
Yeah. Oh man, I I apologize. Oh. The ice cream had melted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's no food in those. I don't know mm. what they stuff out of, but it ain't it. It's not food. <laughs> so the uh, halfway through nineteen seventy eight. We've got the best posting we ever had, um, Berlin. So Berlin was awesome. Um, back in, I mean, 78 to 80, we were there, two mm. and a half years and all. And, um, yeah, what a fantastic place Berlin was back then. We we were um, in a camp called Montgomery Barracks, which was um, the other side of Gatow, um, which was our air, airfield. Uh, in a in a village called Cladow, and it was right on the wall. So where my quarter was, because um, I got married by then, my quarter was literally a hundred meters from the wall. Oh, wow. The other side of this wall were was a big Russian camp. <laughs> really, and they used to drive the tanks around all the time. Yeah, you got used to it in the end, but um, yeah, it was originally it was a bit scary but you know and we decided that they weren't going to bother coming for us yeah yeah wow man that you think about all the history you know that that you just talked about you know well rudolf hess was still alive um yeah. so we were having to guard spandau prison and i did that uh once and got into trouble um Apparently, you're not supposed to look at him when he's doing his exercise in the yard. Um, you, you're on the sort of the guard towers round, and you just look over. You're supposed to be looking out, not in. <laughs> so I looked down. I saw saw Hess one day, just sort of sat there reading or whatever he did, and um, he, he looked up, saw me, and the next thing I know, I got a, a bollocking for looking at looking at him. <laughs> Um, and then we used to do what we call flag tours. Um, so we had big Opal Imperials. They're like big limousines, big black Mariah type limousines. And they're before you're done up in uh, your, your number two dress, mm -hmm. which is that one just up behind me head there. Can you see it? Yep. Um, that's that's the number two dress. That one. Yeah, that one. <laughs> All right. So we... we that's our, that was our best uniforms for the time. And we used to go through Checkpoint Charlie. And the only way I can really describe, describe what it was like, it was like going from a colour film to a black and white film. As soon as you got into East Berlin, the whole place was grey. Yeah. Everybody looked grey. The whole place looked grey. <laughs> Different shades of grey. It just looked like a black and white film. Yeah. And we were the only splash of colour that was driving round. And when we used to go through there, we used to pick up a tail. And we used to get a, a, a Russian tail or an East German tail. And they'd just follow us around all day. And there, there were a few points of places that we had to go and visit. Uh, there was a the, the Tomb of the Unknown Warrior or the Russian War Memorial. Um, we used to have to go and pay our respects to that, give one of them. Um, there was a, a, a museum that we used to go and stop at, military museum, right. um, and that was quite interesting. So, 
you sort of leave two people in the car and two people to go and have a wander around in this museum. <laughs> two people to get out of their car, follow us about. <laughs> it's quite quite amusing. Um, and then there was, of course, there was the, the British military train. And that was a brilliant duty. Um, that meant uh, you started early in the morning in, in uh, Schlottenburg uh, and you go down through Potsdam and you, you go down to Brunswick uh, and you get a, a big old fry-up breakfast on the way down there and uh, you stop at, uh, and they get out and they do the the bit with all the passports at the, the border crossing and and there's chains on the, on the door so they can't get in or you can't get out, one of the two. And then you, as you're driving down or going down through uh, what was East Germany, um, yeah, it's, it, it's like a, a Pullman opulence. <laughs> and then yeah. you get to the other end and you go through the same rigmarole. It usually takes sort of three quarters of an hour, an hour to go through each end. Uh, and then you get you get about four hours in um, Brunswick before doing the return journey. And on the return journey, you, you get a dinner on the on the train, and <laughs> it's great fun. Yeah. Now, little story: I, my mum come over. Okay, yeah. uh, she came over for a couple of weeks, stopping in Berlin. So we took her on the military train down to Brunswick, just because we could. And um, and you get a brief up. You're not allowed to sort of move around the carriages when when you stop and doing the the, the border crossings. So just before. <laughs> Just before we got to uh, to the first crossing at, at um, Potsdam, my mum pops off to the loo. We pulls into the station. We pulls out the station an hour later. She comes toddling back from the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Spend an hour sat in the car seat. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, at least. She proved that she can make it through without being checked, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was quite funny. <laughs> so um, Ireland, that was that was a civil war, right? Yeah. Insurgency. It went on for um, 30, 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's two ways of looking at it from, from a British perspective, from, from a, a soldier point of view. For us, it was it was a brilliant training ground mm -hmm. because you was actually operationally doing what you've trained to do. You're wandering around the streets with live ammunition. Yeah. Quite often with one up a spout, depending on the situation. Um, depends on where you were. Um, I did a couple of other tours. Of, of, with, with, so the first one was Belfast. Second one, we spent two years in Londonderry. Uh, Londonderry, we spent lots of time doing border checks and stuff like that. So you're out in the Ulu, out in the sticks. Um, then I did a, a another tour in Crossmaglen, which is down on the border in South Armagh, which was all rural, what's naming. Uh, so you've got lots of opportunities to do real real life operations yeah that you train for so that's that's what makes the british army probably 
the best army in the world because we had that going on for 30 odd years yeah and so, so you... it was in i was in northern ireland we were in london derry when the the falklands kicked off um so during that period although they were having a lot of fun down in the falklands uh, on their cruising down there and cruising back we was having a pretty rough time in in up in london derry or across the whole province really there was lots of stuff kicking off because old paddy wasn't happy that uh, the british army was getting lots of um lots of attention in the in in the press and everything all these heroes and everything uh, taken back to falklands yeah so that was that was that was that was fun <laughs> you know it, yeah i i mean it's it is unfortunate that uh you know that that you have to deal with stuff like that but uh but it but it is like you said it is an opportunity to to gain those experiences because uh that was one thing that america had that problem with was there was everybody was gone you know we had vietnam and then we had no real experiences between then and the gulf war yeah so even even training you know the people training our troops were no longer combat experienced um veterans they had all retired they were gone. It, makes a, it does make a big difference so so we we had that going on for for 30 odd years uh in northern ireland from i guess 60 68 it, it started um and we've it's kind of finished up when was the last i think it was 2000 or was it 98 yeah i think it was 98 that they they somewhere around about the the good friday agreement and and it kind of but we still got troops out there mm-hmm. but they're not they're not patrolling the streets they're not, they're not doing what they used to do so right. it's uh yeah they the all, all all the the terrorist activity that they used to do out there has now been returned as uh criminal activity so the police generally deal with it um yeah northern Ireland is a funny old one but yeah you know, i mean the, the falklands gave us uh, some experience of proper war fighting uh and then say 1990 came along and um we got involved with the the first gulf war um and that that was that was again that was some good training <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh, proper putting into practice what you you spend all your time training for and yeah. then we went to then we go into the to the to the 90s where we we the balkans kicked off and um later later on sierra sierra leone um so yeah we we were building experience and we have got guys that were building experience yeah yeah, Syria and 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 that whole area over there has just been a it's been a shithole for years. You know, oh, I ain't gonna change. No, it's not, it's not. Um, <laughs> I ain't gonna change anytime soon, is it? Let's face it. I mean, you look you look at how how much you how far back you can go and how many countries has been in and out of Afghanistan fighting there. You know. Yeah. 
And then, Alexander the Great, he got his ass kicked as well. Yep. So uh, the Afghans. Now, Afghanistan, um, I'll, I'll just cover a little bit before that. Um, so in... In 1998, I got recruited onto 15 UK Psychological Operations Group. Um, and I became a purveyor of propaganda, lies and deception. So I got recruited on there. Um, I joined the group on the 1st of June in 1999. The CO at the time, he said to me... Um, would you be prepared to, to be deployed at any time? Yeah, no problem at all. I, got, I don't have a problem with that. Anyway, November 1999, I found myself going to Kosovo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I spent I spent a year in Kosovo. I did two tours. Um, I did what we call Agricola 2 and 3. So I went in after the initial scrap to get in there. And my job was at that time um, working in the uh, psychological psychological support element, the PSE, for the brigade headquarters. And that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned the trade. Mm. So before I got there, I knew I was I was I was going. So I did a lot of reading in. A lot of reading up about the, the the Serbs. A lot of reading up about the um, the ethnic Albanians that was in Kosovo, um, and a lot of reading up of what had gone on there. So when I when I got in there and hit the ground, I had a good understanding of the mentality of the people there. And every day I was there, I was learning more. We had, we had um, four interpreters work for us, and I was always talking to the interpreters, learning as much as I could about the, the, the psyche of the, the population. Mm. I spent a lot of time going around the different battle groups um, that were there. I went to the Swedish battle group. We did a lot, I did a lot of work with a Swedish battle group down in a place called Grazanitsa, which was just to the south of Pristina. I was based out of Pristina. They were down in Gratsanitsa. Um, Gratsanitsa was a Serb enclave. And what uh, their main task was to, to, to keep the, the Serb population fairly safe. There was a couple of other Serb enclaves at places like Kosovo, Polya and that, right. where they were able to go between each other. Uh, so we were providing safe routes. Um, and also they were able to come down to Pristina do shopping. So that was that was one part of what we were doing. Then I was working with the, the Norwegian battalion, the Finnish battalion, um, did a lot of work with the, the Americans down in Bonstil uh, and over in Jelani. I did some work with the Spanish up in Istok. I did some work with the Italians over in Pech, and I did some work with the French up in... Um, Mitsuvica, is it Mitsuvica? Yeah, Mitsuvica. Um, so I got a, got to get got to go all over Kosovo, um, 
which was really good. It gave me a good understanding of the country, a good understanding of the, the population. Because now, everything everything that we were doing was directed at the local population. So Kosovo, terrain-wise, they it was similar to Bosnia. But the people-wise yeah. was, was a little bit different, um, if I'm not mistaken. I've never been to Kosovo, but... Uh, a lot different from Bosnians. Yeah. Um, Serbs, I mean, the Serbs are similar to Bosnians, um, but the the ethnic Albanians are a different barrel of monkeys altogether. Right. To totally different ball game. They're yeah. more akin to Albanians. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a fairly poor country. I mean, we pour billions in there. Um. Yeah, we poured a lot of money into into Kosovo in that in that year I was there. Yeah, I, I think as far as a, a fighting force, you know, the Albanians are a pretty tough group. Is you know, not as far as you know having a great army, but a, as far as a fighter, yeah, you know, individual fighter, they they're, they're pretty strong. Yeah, oh, I mean, I think halfway through. Halfway through my first tour, the um, the media ops team, you know, so we were part of the SIOPS team and um, we had our own vehicle and stuff like that that I, I was able to utilise, get, because we were going down, I was, from, from where we were in the university building, which was the headquarters of the uh, British um, brigade, we were going down into the centre of, Scopia, uh, Central Pristina, uh, because we had another group down there. It was where uh, the UMIC were. It was the OC. Um, oh, I can't remember. The, the, anyway, we also had the radio station down there. So we were going backwards and forwards with stuff at the radio station, stuff like that. So I got a, pretty much a free hand to do, sort of run around, basically. Yeah. Halfway through, maybe three quarters away through my first tour, the media ops team had um, their driver uh, that used to take them out. Uh, what, what happens is the media ops team, if there was an incident that went off, they would ring up journalists. They would have a driver that take them out uh, in a secure fit Land Rover with, with secret comms on to be able to liaise with the troops on the ground and the journalists, and they would be the link between the two. Their driver got um, extracted on a compassionate case. There was nobody else that could drive their Land Rover with a secure fit, apart from me. <laughs> so, so I got dicked um, quite often to, <laughs> to, to go out with a media ops team um to incidents um and i went out to uh, a, f a couple of the mass graves that they found mm -hmm. that was that was quite harrowing um so we would be the link on the ground the funny part about it is there was there was a couple of the the, the journalists there was one guy uh from the uh the telegraph the daily telegraph here in england and um a, a couple of others that knew that I, <laughs> I was a psyops operator, uh, 
<laughs> working with the media ops team. <laughs> so, so, so a purveyor of propaganda, lies, and deception was was com conversing with journalists. Right. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah. So when, when when I came out of Kosovo, um, you got back into to doing some sort of training and. Uh, and I did a lot more training once I got back into um, back to Chicksands where we were based, and um, and I was on an exercise. It's called uh, the Joint Maritime Course up at um, Fast Lane in Glasgow, just outside Glasgow. Now we, we'd also we support another exercise at the Staff College, and I thought it was one of those. So we've gone up there, and uh, we got briefed up on this this exercise. And the Joint Maritime Course is massive. They've got like uh, two carrier groups, one, the British one, on the illustrious coming up the east, uh, the west side of the country. And then we've got um, an American one coming up on the west side of the country. And they've got, I forget which um, which aircraft carrier it was. It was a big one. And, and all the entourage that goes with that, there's special forces coming, there's jets coming in, there's all sorts of stuff coming in on this this particular exercise. Um, so the second week, we were, we were due to go out on Illustrious to, to operate off of uh, uh, the carrier. So the first week, we were in the maritime ops room uh, in with the SF spell, the, the special forces cell. So we seeing what was going on, and we were producing uh, some radio stuff broadcasting um to to the islanders letting them know what was going on and stuff like that. this is at the same time that macedonia was starting to rear its ugly head i remember macedonia I so I so that weekend we we would we were due to go off uh get flown out onto the aircraft carrier illustrious um instead we had to drive back down the chick sands <laughs> We got extracted over the weekend from this this course, this this exercise. Um, Monday morning, we had a brief. Tuesday morning, we went down into London to the Ministry of Defence and we got a, a, another briefing down there, a secret briefing about what was going on in Macedonia. And um, we were supposed to fly out on the Wednesday to Skopje we ended up flying out, I think it was about a week and a half later to Skopje. We got set up out there um, three weeks before the Blair Assault Brigade came in, 16 Blair Assault Brigade. Um, so we were there before them. So we were we were uh, force enablers. We were setting the ground for, for the paras and that coming in to, to do the weapons collection. It was only a 90-day op. Yeah. Um, so we were in there a few weeks before and getting the ground ready. This particular day, um, we they they gave us this little Daewoo Mets. I mean, tiny little thing. Yeah. Uh, and you imagine putting four big blokes in <laughs> into this thing, driving along, and you, you switch the aircon on, and the thing would die. So you had to switch the aircon off and open the windows. <laughs> so so we 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 sat outside. Um, 
Camp Abel Sentry. We called it Anal Entry. It's American camp in, in Skopje. And the guys have gone into the PX to do a bit of shopping. I'm sat out listening to the radio. And they they stopped the broadcast and said that there's something uh, had gone on in in New York. So I grabbed the guys, shot in, grabbed the guys, went back to um, the ops room where we got some big tellies and that. We got back and saw the second jet going to the, the Twin Towers. Wow. Five months later, <laughs> I found myself in Kabul. Yeah. How did I get there? <laughs> now, flying into Kabul, that, that first flight, um, we, we've flown over on a, uh, a C-17, the, the, the old Globemaster. Yep. And um, we, they, they come round and uh, they said, right, you need to pull your body armour on and everything like that. We're going to do a tactical landing at night. <laughs> so... So all the lights go off on the aircraft and this thing's been thrown around the sky. Yeah. And it's coming in. Bang! It's hit the deck. <laughs> as it's come to a stop. <laughs> Back towards the This is January, mind. <laughs> freezing cold. Yep. Kabul is freezing. And they've opened the back doors on this thing and it's pitch black. You could barely see anything. Anyway, it's come to a stop uh, and there's little lights <laughs> feeding the soft aircraft into these tents and um they, they, we're getting a briefing uh of, i mean it's in the middle of the night and, and this guy's giving us a briefing on everything that can bite and eat you and, and can kill you and and one thing or another oh by the way don't step off the hard standing we haven't cleared the mines yet yep Anyway, they, they've slung us on the back of this Italian truck and it's driven us through the, the, the streets of uh, Kabul in the middle of the night. And there's nobody about. There's there's odd groups of soldiers with these oil drum fires stood on corners and things like that. The Mujahideen types. And they've taken us off to the, um, the university building where we were stopping, uh, where the the ISAF headquarters going to be. Got greeted there, got stuck into this this tent, right? <laughs> a nine by nine tent, I think it was, no, no, 12 by 12 tent. Freezing cold. We were gibbering like idiots. Um, <laughs> middle of the night. Sun comes up in the morning, whole different light on the place. And um, yeah, I spent six months in, in Kabul. So you were there having when, an absolute wonderful time. Yeah. So you were there when Operation uh, Red Wing started in because that was March of uh, 02. Yeah, we called it uh, Jakarta, yeah. Op Jakarta for us. Yeah. And yeah, so we, we were based at um, headquarters ISAF, uh, which was just down, the, just down the road from the American Embassy just across the road from radio, television, um, Afghanistan, that was. They, they got up and running while we were there. Uh, I did a little bit of work with them as well. Um, and just over behind where we were, there was the uh, the academy, uh, the military academy. There's a big field there. And we used to sit on the wall and, and watch them playing Bushkazi. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't know if you've ever seen that, but it's, it's done on horses and they use a a, a goat, they're throwing a goat around and, and one thing or another. Yeah, so that so so that was good fun. Um, again, I had a fairly fairly uh, free hand to do stuff. We came up with this concept of um, the ISAF News, and it was a tri-language newspaper um, in English, Pashto, and Dari, which is the three languages there. Um, and it was all good news stories about what we were doing. So I was able to go out and do interviews with people, get stories to put in this thing. And I had the opportunity to um, interview Har uh, Ashraf Ghani, who later became the president. He was At the time, he was the finance minister. minister. Hamid Karzai, I did him. I did the minister of the Hajj. And um, they had the big lawyer, Jerga, which was a, a, the, the, the Germans built this massive, great big tent uh, and they got people from all over the country and it was like a big convention, for want of a different word. And um, and I was able to interview some people there. Now, there was a woman that got up on the stage and, and spoke. I mean, I don't, don't speak um, Pashto at all, but she came across as really, really passionate and all the rest of it and i was able to have a chat with her afterwards uh, and i did a bit of a bit of a piece for on her and she she had come up from a place called lashkar garden in helmand and i'll tell you a bit about her in a second um so most of the time i was able to go out on the ground just me and an interpreter um and, and anywhere around where we were no problem at all if we were going anywhere outside the city, then I'd, I'd need to get an escort. Um, and generally, at that time, we had a, Italian, the Italians um, that were guarding the place and doing escort duties. We also worked with the, the, the Germans. We worked with the Americans. Um, uh, they were just outside of town on the Jalalabad Road. Um, so, yeah, I had a good time there. Then when I went back... In 2006, I'd done a director after that, but when I came out, we handed over to the Turks. So the Turks took over HQISAF. Um, we handed over loads of stuff to them, loads of kit and all the rest of it, and this newspaper, which had, which had grown by then, we were, we were producing 50,000 copies a fortnight got local printers doing the what's name and it went out as a broadsheet when i went back in 2005 six um i was really impressed that the newspaper was still going out still in the same format that we'd put together back in 2001 uh, 2002 and it had gone color and it was going across the whole country that's awesome or, albeit a bit sporadic but um yeah it, it will it was pushed out across the country by this time in 2006 i won't I, my rack was shit um i nearly didn't come back from there a few times um but in 2006 uh, i was in in kabul in um in lashgar 
in Helmand province. And one of the, this, this woman that I'd interviewed back in 2002 was working at the women's centre just down the road from where we were. And I, I spent probably three months trying to get her to, to come and do some work on the radio because I was that time I was doing I was gone across on uh, my main responsibility was for the radio in a box which is commercial radio so instead of pushing out a newspaper we were pushing out radio so we did uh, a lot of recording and stuff like that so we were coming up with this this um, thing called we, we called it the Afghan Archers so over here there's, there's a, a radio program that's been going for must be 70 years now called the archers and it's about um a farming community local rural community so we came up with that sort of idea and we would we would write scripts around what had been going on recently in the area and the markets and stuff anyway convinced this lady uh, to come and do some recording she got some other ladies we wrote a script for them and um we recorded it and, and that went out, and then we did another one, and that went out, um, and that went down a storm, but that went down really, really well. And then I came out. Um, I, I left Afghanistan <laughs> uh, in the middle of two thousand and six, back to six hands, and then I went back again in two thousand eight nine, and that's another another tour. Did uh was the was the paper and all, all that stuff still going on? Too, the or? paper was still the, the paper was still going on, but that was run by um, NATO up in um, in Kabul, and and it it kind of I don't know whether it fizzled out or, or it, it didn't fizzle out. It, it got taken over by the locals, and that they were running with it. Okay. They changed the name, but the layout was still pretty much the same as what we did. I and think still going out in the same three languages. I think about that time frame is NATO really did kind of take a big hold because Kandahar became yeah. a really big NATO area. Because <clears throat> last time I went to Kandahar, I didn't even recognize it. It looked like it really looked like nobody even wanted to to take charge, and like everybody had their own little oh, area. Don't. I have one experience <laughs> of Kandahar. Um, there, there was a, there was a uh, there was a support element, art support element in Kandahar. Wow. That had a, a big Rico printer that was able to just print in. And um, in, in two thousand six, we we were um, mounting operations in a place called Musakala uh, and a few other places, and we were doing leaflet drops. Now I've been out in the field for, for about a week. I've got I've got my beard on. I'll show you some pictures shortly. But I've got a beard on, and I'm, I'm you know I mean imagine being out in the field in Afghanistan, filthy, stinking, dirty. <laughs> I've, I've got I've got this this helicopter that's picked me up, flown me to Kandahar, dropped me at the, what's the name is waiting there for me. I've had to walk through Kandahar. To, this, to these guys to pick up this couple of boxes of leaflets to go and drop out of this helicopter. So as I'm walking through, there's this, this shout, Oi, you! 
carried on. Oh, you, yeah, you. <laughs> I've got full battle rig on. I mean, I'm, I'm stinking. I'm filthy dirty. I've got my, my helmet slung down my side. I ain't got, a, I ain't got a lid on. There's this, this horrible station warrant officer. He's shouting at me. So I've wandered over. He says, "Where's your hat?" Pardon? <laughs> what? Where's your hat? I ain't got it. <laughs> I'm on business. I've, I'm in a hurry. What do you want? <laughs> to this station warrant officer. He's starting to get, he started to go sort of steam coming about his ears. <laughs> I said, look, I'm on, a, I'm on an operation. I've got to pick up some urgent equipment to go and kick out of an helicopter. Now, what do you want? <laughs> fuck off, he says. <laughs> he told you to fuck off. <laughs> I think it, it must have been the aroma that was coming off of me because I was stinking. <laughs> Anyway, I've got to the to the support element. Found the guys. Oh, sorry if we'd known when to come and pick you up in the car in the in the pickup. So anyway, they took us back up there to these boxes and and off we flew and then kicked them out of this helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of um, how I felt about Bagram, man. You know, Bagram. Yeah. You know, we just walked down that main street like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah none of that. None of that where I was. <laughs> you do that, somebody's gonna get shot. <laughs> I mean, that's the, that's our policy too. And yet yeah. when you're on Bagram, they make you salute and it, it's like whatever. Yeah. Anyway, did you want to see some pictures? Absolutely. Here we go then. Uh let's give you some pictures. Oh, this is my studio, by the way. <laughs> this is this is where I operate from. That's where all the magic happens. This is where it happens. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you a bit about what I do nowadays towards the end. Okay. Um, but here we go. Look, here's some pictures. Um, so the top left picture there is me in Kabul in 2002 working on the ISAF news. Uh, the picture underneath in all red, that, believe it or not, is in Camp Victory in iraq now what happened there was um we've flown up there for for this conference uh we landed in camp victory from from basra the guys met us and we were going down into the green zone uh, for a conference so we were in a pickup truck we were two pickup trucks tatty looking things as we're coming to go out the gate at, at Victory, the uh, there was a Humvee, uh, a pickup truck, pushed their way in front of us. Off they went. We went off about, I don't know, 30 seconds, a minute behind them. Halfway in the Baghdad, boom. They got blown up. Um, yeah. As far as I could tell, there was, there was at least two dead uh, and about four in, seriously injured. We, we, we came along. Um, helicopter day came down uh, we got ushered on carried on to the green zone we went to the green zone um by which time we reeled up outside because they're, they're panicking like mad uh, about us going in absolute bloody nightmare um so that was the first time they tried to kill me on that trip 
later that day we came back to Camp Victory without incident, fortunately. That evening we sat on top of um, this hooch. We, we, they put us up in this, this single building, but we were able to go up on the roof. We got one of these pot fire things going and we were having a few near beers uh, and just chewing the fat. All of a sudden, a burst of about 25, 30, 5-0 rounds came over our heads. Traces the lot. Shot straight past us and killed a guy on the sanitary. I thought, that's damned unfriendly. Um, and then the following day, we were, we were due to fly out. There's a sandstorm. <laughs> guy guy behind us waving, so come on, hurry up. <laughs> you need to take off. So, so we're busy doing the old, uh, <laughs> what do you yep. call it, military tourism bit. Anyway, we jumped on the, the, this herc. We took off and uh, the, the pilot said, that's lucky. They've just shut the airport. We'd have been stuck there for about a week, I think. So we managed to just get out. Um, the one, the picture in the middle at the bottom is um, I was out of patrol. Notice I've got a full beard on back, back in those days. That was good fun. Um, the top picture with that uh, big stick, a <laughs> big lump in the middle, that's a radio in a box. Um, okay. That's up a, that's at uh, Kajaki. Now, when I got up to Kajaki, um, right at the far end was a, a, a observation post where this um, radio in a box was just sat there gathering dust. Um, so I moved it from that end to the other end of this ridge, which is about three kilometres or so. Uh, and I had another guy help us and, and we sherpered it. <laughs> we had to carry the bloody thing. Uh, it's quite heavy. And then I set it up and um, we were broadcasting. Um, the picture to the bottom right uh, is my younger days as a, a young uh, soldier. Uh, and that thing covered up behind me is what we call a wombat. It's a 120mm anti-tank gun. Uh, the fire's a, a hesh round, a high-explosive squash head. Brilliant bit of kit. Uh, and that was on a concentration down in Senelager in Germany. And the top picture on the right is me with my granddaughter uh, a few years back at um, Horse Guards in London. And I was working, and my job was to look after the minor royals on that day and uh, my granddaughter came up and uh, she had a fantastic day out That's awesome. uh this nest lot uh pictures this is this is the work i did in london um the picture on the left there is me getting presented to the uh at that time the duke of edinburgh prince philip and um just happened to take that picture as the bus went past. Have a nice day. <laughs> this is that was the opening of the field of remembrance before the remembrance weekend. Um, the top centre picture, I got a emeritus service award from the general officer commanding of London district district for some of the work that I did there. The bottom one is I'm just ready uh, getting ready to mount guard. In fact, I think that one was. Um, that was a Remembrance Day parade, and my job uh, on that was to to release London transport from St Anne's Gate to make sure that they went behind the right band. 
because there's, there's four bands that go out on um, Remembrance Parade, uh, and I'll make sure that they go out on the right band. Um, and then I'm going to have breakfast, and then uh, I when when they come marching back from um, Whitehall round onto Horse Guards uh, approach, then I'm on the corner trying to keep some sort of semblance of order where <laughs> where where the old boys are marching, and it's it's a nightmare. Um, and the picture on the right is uh, that's the Wellington room in Horse Guards, and we were collecting for the poppy appeal coming up to remembrance this next batch of pictures is some of the uh <laughs> the sports i've done so back in the early days i used to be a hang glider pilot and hang gliding instructor um and that was my hang glider it was a um a highway excalibur really fast hang glider for the time um had a great time with that uh, the picture in the middle is on my, um, I had a Ducati 749S um, that I used to take to track days, and that's a Brands Hatch. Um, then the top right is, I'm a Telemark skier, so I Telemark skied for about 40 years um, and competed as well at the, the British Telemark Championships, and I skied for the Army. Uh, the bottom right is I've done a lot of sailing. Um, that particular picture was taken on the guard yacht coming round um, the south of Copenhagen, round Sealand. Uh, then the little picture there is my my little old Lotus Elise. Um, sold it a little while ago, but I used to take that to track days as well. Um, done a lot of hill walking over the years. And the middle picture on the bottom left is uh, me playing a bit of rugby. I played rugby from school until I was 56. I played my last game when I was 56. Wow. I was hoping to play till I was 60, but I ended up being broken. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough sport. It's a fun sport. I played American football as well uh, for a couple of years, and that was fun. But nowhere near as much fun as rugby. Yeah. Um, this next little group, um, I do like to dress up. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the 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 top left picture is um, that was at the Holiday Inn in Skopje, and it was a NATO briefing, and uh, we we got in there before they actually did the briefing, and I was doing some mucking about. Um, the bottom left. Did a bit of cross-dressing. <laughs> I've got great legs, by the way. Uh, the one up in the centre-right, we had a fancy dress night in the in the mess. Um, the one in the middle on the left, when I was when I was just a, about three, I I, I fought a, a, a brown bear, a big old grizzly bear. <laughs> a mean old grizzly bear. <laughs> a bit like David Crockett. <laughs> um, and the, the centre one on the left is in Norway. Apparently, it, it, you have to do thirty mile an hour to do farts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the one on the right is I'm all dressed up to go to um, 
a Burns night. <laughs> Got my time of shanta. <laughs> I'm a sporran. <laughs> and I think that's it for the pictures. Yeah. So. <laughs> so there you go. Man of action. Yeah. <laughs> you know, those are the, the, the good times, you know, the the family times and and the, the good memories you know that's, yeah. the, that's the stuff that we carry with us i mean i've been around for an awful long time and i've had i've had some fantastic times i've had some shit ones as well i mean don't get me wrong i mean <laughs> there, there's been a few downs and yep. uh yeah you know that's, but, what, that's what i always tell everybody you know the the, Art, the american army recruiters that they tell you that you're going to see the world they just leave out the part. It's going to be the third world, and <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to have to sweep it up. <laughs> you're going to have to sweep it up and, and uh, get rid of the rats and and everything else. But uh, with that, you know the places that you do get to go with your family. Um, you know, yeah. I've, I've I've seen a lot of history, <clears throat> uh, a lot of castles that I got to take my kids and my wife to, and 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 see and those are memories that that we'll have forever that i would have never gotten to do if it wasn't for the military so if it wasn't for you know the bad you're not going to have the good as well it it take you got to have both oh yeah have one so yeah if 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 you can have more good than bad then you're not doing so bad yep it's it's i I mean i've 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 had an awesome career over the years i've done some amazing stuff um i've done an awful lot of stuff i can't talk about <laughs> yep <laughs> and i've done an awful lot of stuff i can <laughs> yeah i've had some rough times i mean I've, I've i've had some pretty dark dire times yeah. um but you come through them yeah i mean i've, I've lost two best mates um and that, that's that has been Really tough. I lost a wife. They'll get a load of this. River for 25 years, married for 23 years. She got cancer the first time, managed to get over that. They said, if you, you clear for two years, you'll be fine. A year and 11 months, it came back. Came back a lot, lot more aggressive the second time. And she went and died on me. Left me alone. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Who'd you get in touch with? The the, yeah. the year the year before and a day before, the year before and a day, my best mate died. Mm. Five yeah. years later, I married his wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you're 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 looking after her and, and making sure yeah. that everything's good. Well, we 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 we'd known each other for I don't know. 20 odd years I mean it's funny the way it worked he was best mates with my wife's first husband mm-hmm. um, he was killed flying hang gliders and I met him through hang gliding so when I when I learned to hang glide and all the rest of it he was the training officer for the British Hang Gliding Association and I was on a, on my instructor's course when I met him um and uh, we became sort of mates and 
became best, best mates and we did so much together over the, those sort of 30 years that we were, were best mates. Um, and then he, he, he died. Well, he's worse than that. He took his own life. Um, and and that is really tough to deal with. Yeah, but I can relate. I mean, vet, vet, veterans and, and suicide go hand in hand, unfortunately. And it's needless quite often. There's so much that can be done and you've only got to reach out. So any veterans out of there that um, that have dark times, there is light. Um, there is always, always a, a, an ear that will listen and take the piss. You know, and, and I'm glad you said that because, you know, for, for the listeners that, that see that that's not, it's not just an, uh, an American veteran issue or, or anything. This is, you know, this is, soldiers from around the world you know um it's not one particular war it's 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 war you know um it doesn't have to be war to to to, to suffer uh traumatic stuff but i'm but i'm saying it what i'm getting at is is it's not just us here it's not just your individual it's everybody this is a a natural problem that that we need to talk about and and you're not alone feeling this way so you know this isn't an american problem a male problem or a female problem you know this is a human problem and uh um absolutely you know it's not just a veteran problem i know a lot of civilians that are going through these problems you know um I don't know how some of the the paramedics and and police officers that see some of these car accidents and and children day in and day out, you know. Yeah, it's it, it it's it's something that is it, it needs talking about. It does, and it and it needs talking about because so many people, in fact, just about everybody you can imagine has your dark day everybody has has had some sort of traumatic incident in their lives lots and lots and lots of people have child childhood traumas they carried with them all their lives yeah and they don't deal with it yep um and and it's it's it, i think one of the things that we try and push it that it's okay not to be okay yep it's okay to say I'm struggling, and yep. there's always somebody that will give you that ear. Sometimes that's all it takes. Yeah, just for somebody to sit there and doesn't need to say anything; they just need to listen. Yep, I, I completely agree. You know, for for me, it was podcasting, and and I discovered it completely by accident. You know, we started this podcast. It was me and my old first aunt. And, uh, you know, it turned out to be therapy. It got me talking about things that I hadn't ever been talking about. And by the end of season one, I realized that I was starting to open up about things. Not that it was still easy to talk about, but I was at the beginning stages of talking. Mm. And, uh, once once you start having that conversation you know each time 
you're able to go a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. And, and that's kind of where, you know, the nonprofit that I'm building has came from is to, to get other veterans to, to start that process. And then once you realize, Hey, I can talk about this, you know, you'll find a group therapy or something or someone that yeah. you, you feel comfortable talking to. And, and next thing you know, you'll be on that path to, to helping yourself, you know? Absolutely. Well, that's, that's kind of how I sort of fell into podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, going back, I, I guess, 2017, 18, um, I was just retiring from the army. I was working on ancestry. I, I, I got my DNA done. Um, and it's quite interesting what came out of that. Um, I, I'm, I'm 50, just want to remember the figures. I'm 52% English, 38% Scottish. Don't know where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I like to wear a, a skirt occasionally. <laughs> I've got nine percent nine percent Swedish, three percent Norwegian, one percent Danish, and keep this one quiet, two percent Welsh. <laughs> Don't know where that's come from at all. Don't know where the Welsh is snuck in there. I'll edit that part out for you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm working on ancestry. And I found my great granddad, mm-hmm. and uh, and he was a chief stoker in the Royal Navy. And he lives, or lived, about three miles from where I live now. So I live over in a place called Gosport. Mm-hmm. He lived over in Portsmouth. He was a chief stoker in the Royal Navy. Uh, he died back in nineteen thirty. So he came through the Second World War and stuff like that. And my granddad. Uh, he also came through the, the, the First World War. Um, he he had a uh, a bone replaced in his, his left arm, um, had a titanium one put in there or something like that. So he, he, he was injured in the Dardanelles uh, in Turkey during the First World War. So just, I found that out, and I thought it'd be brilliant if I could go back and have a chat with him. Unfortunately, I ain't got a time machine, so I can't. Yeah. Um, we got into lockdown. And and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, if I don't tell my story, that's going to be lost like theirs. Yep. So what I did, I started a podcast. And it's audible. Um, and I did 20 half an hour episodes of my life. So if there's any of your listeners out there that are suffering from insomnia and they want something to put them to sleep, they can have a listen to that. I got to the end of that and um, I thought, what do I do now? But I did another couple of episodes of in-depth stuff that I'd done. Um, and I thought, what do I do now? Why don't I try other people? So I got hold of my mother. Uh, and I've got her story, and it's kind of snowballed from there. So I got up to about 40-odd episodes, and I started to struggle at 
cajoling and beating people up and dragging them in, kicking and screaming to tell their stories, which is when I got into Podmatch. Yep. Podmatch has been awesome for me. I agree. Um, and then I started doing it on video as well. So I record it like this in video. Um, I slip off the audio, put out on it as a podcast and put up the video as a video on YouTube. I've, done, I've lost count. Um, I've done 200 and about 218 interviews through Podmatch, plus all the ones I did before that. Yeah, I've done a lot. Yeah. Um, I put up um, one episode a week on a Sunday uh, of ordinary people's extraordinary stories. Um, so that's been running for the last three years, and there's a lot of people to go and have a listen to, and there's some there's some really fascinating people. Then I do a live show on a Thursday evening that um, it started off. Um, we called it Thursday Thursday. In the British Army on a Thursday, um, we call it Thirsty Thursday. So Thursday evening, everybody goes out on, on, on the piss uh, on a Thursday evening. Friday morning, uh, you're hungover like it's no <laughs> tomorrow. CO's PT, commanding officer's PT on a Friday morning. Everybody's out for a run and everything. The CO's there. You can't miss that parade. But you've been on the piss all night. <laughs> Yep. And the idea of CO's PT on a Friday morning is clear the hangovers before you scarper at lunchtime. You go on any military base in the UK on a weekend, it's dead. <laughs> Everybody's scarpered at lunchtime on a Friday and they're back Sunday night or Monday morning. Yeah. Um, I lost my track. Where, where do I get to? Yeah, so, so that was that. So now... I, I I got into this Thursday Thursday malarkey. Um and I got friends in and we we, we set up on on a stream yard and we'll just have a chat about different stuff and, and lots of mental health came into it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's, it's it's evolved now into um what I call everyday conversations regarding mental health. And I'll get a guest on each week and we'll we'll have a, a chat about different aspects of mental health whether it's bereavement whether it's suicide whether it's addictions whether it's um trauma we'll we'll talk about any any subject around that the mental well-being and we're trying to take the stigma out of mental well-being it's okay to talk about it nowadays yeah it's okay for people to to say I'm not okay, I need I need a little bit of help. And all we're trying to do is to help at least one person to stop one person taking their own life, or or to help one person at a time to seek help. And that's 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 been going now for all oh, year and a half, something like that. That's awesome. Sometimes it's difficult to get somebody on. <laughs> I can Sometimes it's just me. Uh, I can absolutely relate. Um, so we're going on season three. January will start season three um, for us. 
and uh you know season one we knew absolutely nothing about podcasting so yeah we sounded like idiots and uh <laughs> you know by the the end of uh, season one, we were starting to figure it out. And, you know, by the end of season two, I think we're, we're slowly catching the hang of it. And hopefully season three will be uh, even better, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's always a work in progress. It's, there's always something you can do different. Yep. I mean, I, 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 was, I was doing everything in, uh, in StreamYard. I had a green screen behind me. Um, and I just used the camera that was on the, the, the iMac. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got an M1 iMac, brilliant camera on that, green screen, and I, I've got some great stuff behind me. I've now evolved where, where I use Ecamm Live, mm-hmm. and, um, and and I use uh, Sony ZV-1 cameras. Um, here's my other camera, look. <laughs> so, yep. So... I, I, I can do lots and lots of different stuff with what I've got. Um, and I've, I use a, a Rodecaster Pro. I've got a, a Rode NT2, NTG2 mic, which is a brilliant mic for the studio. Um, I also use, uh, when I go out and about, I've got um, the Rode Wireless Go mics. Um, so... Um, and I'll put other stuff up, up as well. I've just done a, a battlefield study tour uh, in France and Spain. Um, I went down on my motorbike. Um, so I did about the, the motorbike journey, going across on the ferry, driving down through France and going on some of the classic roads through, through into Spain. Um, I did um, Oridor Seglane which was a village that the Germans, uh, the German SS Des Reich Panzer Battalion went into, rounded everybody up and massacred 642 people and then raised the, the, the village to the ground. So wow. I've done a, a piece on that and that's up on YouTube now. Um, when I got down into Spain, I did, I went to two different battlefield sites from the Peninsula Wars. Um, I did Talavera, and that released this morning. Um, now, Talavera is a battle honour from my regiment, uh, from the uh, 48th foot, which was the Northampton Regiment. Um, so they fought, uh, 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 saved the day at Talavera. So the actual battlefield site, well, as far as I can work out, has now been built on and is a, a road going through there, a motorway going through there, and industrial area. So the battlefield's gone. But I was able to do some some bits and pieces up in the town itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a church there that was there at the time, so I did that. Um, and I went off to another place, Salamanca, um, where our 44th foot, which later became the Essex Regiment, which later became my regiment, the Royal Anglia Regiment, and we took a an Imperial Eagle, a gold Imperial Eagle off the French 62nd Regiment, uh, Infantry Regiment, and we still got it. <laughs> and, and we still wear that Eagle on our uniforms today. 
Um, so it's a, an Imperial Eagle with a 62 underneath it. Uh, but we've still got the actual Eagle that we captured um, at Salamanca. So, yeah. So I've done that. Uh, what else have I done? I've done a little bit of video around where where I live, um, the Gosport, Portsmouth area. I've done where the, the the carriers have come in and out and turned around and one thing or another, done little videos on that. Um, I did uh, a piece on the the Adventure Bike Riders Festival from last year uh, and the year before. I've been twice on the bounce. Um, the year before... I interviewed a few people there, and one of the people I interviewed was Carl Fogarty, who is a famous motorcycle racer. Uh, nice bloke. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I've done lots of different things. Um, so I'm, I'm constantly creating content. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of started out season one. It was all about veterans and and. For, for me, season two has been kind of a growing side for me. You know, um, I have expanded out into what I find interesting. It hasn't just been just veterans. Um, you know, I kind of, I kind of related, relate this show to, you know, and I'm sure you can relate to this. You know, the conversations that you have while you're waiting in the army. You know, the, the, the ones that we are before formation, before PT, the, the, while you're in the field or while you're on guard duty, the, Hey man, what are you going to do when you get back? Or, Hey, what yeah. would you do if you had a million dollars? And so that's what this show is about. You know, I find somebody that's interesting or they have a topic that I'm curious about. I reach out and try to have them on the show mm -hmm. and I just like having conversations. It doesn't matter to me if there's one person listening or, or 10,000 people listening. I, I enjoy learning and, and I enjoy the conversation and, and I hope other people enjoy the content and, and find the stuff interesting as well. So, well, well hopefully I haven't put too many people to sleep. <laughs> I don't think so. I've had a great, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. You know, the, uh, um, you know, our, our, our countries, you know, have done so much together. Um, yeah. We've pounded the same sand in so many different locations, some of them even at different times, you know. Yeah. And, uh, um, so we have so much in common, but yet, you know, the Americans. We're separated by a different language, that's for sure. We are. We, we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure a lot of lot of your listeners can't understand a word I've said. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure, and, you know. But I, I'm gonna be honest. A lot of times when I hear the American kids talk, I don't understand a lot of what they say. So yeah. <laughs> um, so. But uh, it's 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 funny because I was just thinking about this when you were talking about um, the the conflict and everything that was going on in Ireland, and I was thinking to myself. You know, how many of my listeners that probably don't know anything about what had happened over there, you know, about the the conflict, you know, because America wasn't really involved in any of that stuff. No, not at all. Well, you know, we well see Joe, Joe Biden might have been. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he he, he seem, seems to think he's a mick. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he thinks he's a lot of things. <laughs> mm. 
But it's quite funny. Northern Ireland started off in... It's been going on since a long, long time ago. But the recent conflict that we got involved with was originally we went in to protect the the Catholic population. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were called in by the, the police. Uh, it was called Aid to the Civil Power. So that's that's the reason that we went in to, to help the police protect the Catholic population from the Protestants. Then they bit the hand that fed, fed them. <laughs> so the Catholics started on us. <laughs> um and, and the Protestants were, were the ones that were getting picked on and 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 that's in how we ended up being stuck in there for 30 years. It's yeah. a bit like um Bosnia yeah. and Kosovo, I, where we, we we've gone in and we've been stuck in there for years. Yep. Now I don't mind that sort of thing, because what it does, it keeps the military the military skills honed. It does. You're absolutely right. It's 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 to keep the military um involved in doing stuff. Yep. You know, and um, unfortunately it also, you know, co- it, the cost of that is is people's lives. But yeah. uh um you you can't have you, you know this is this is not something that you can just practice without that. You know you're you you have to have that in order for these skills to be exercised because this is, you know, combat speed is, is a whole nother thing. this is not like uh, football or rugby where you can walk the plays and slowly Mm. work it up to combat speed. You know, combat speed means combat. So I I don't know whether you guys have found this in, in American forces, but during particularly the Afghan campaign. We were in there for 20-odd years. <clears throat> we were getting guys... I mean, recruiting wasn't a problem. No. We were getting guys signing up. Um, they they would do their training. They knew they were signing up to go to Afghanistan uh, or Iraq. And they go off. They, they do the tour of duty. They come back. They go on a first exercise, get totally disillusioned, and leave. So, although you've 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 had, you've gained some experience. When you get back, you lose that experience because the training isn't the same as it is on operations. Um, These so- guys come in, they do their, their their four years, and then they leave. Yes. So we had a lot of, we do have a lot of that. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you, it was, I don't know if it was just because of that or the other thing too, was people were signing up thinking they were, were going to fight a different type of war that they, they, they were picturing. Um, so the one problem with Afghanistan was you know, we turned our, our major training areas, what we call NTC and, and, and JRTC, into train-ups for where you're going. So if you were going to Iraq, you went to JRTC. If you were going to Afghanistan, you went to NTC. And and the idea behind that was the, the unit that was coming through, you kind of um, – you kind of told – 
them what you experienced in the past. And then you went over and you were learning a time behind. So yeah. by the time you got over there, the TTPs have yeah. changed. Stuff so, changed. I mean, from, yeah. from, from, from my experience in 2005, six, um, when I, when I got the, op or when I went out on patrols, it was, it was being brassed up. It was, it was a shooting war. Mm -hmm. The Taliban would, would stand and have a, a, a shooting war with us. When I went back in eight nine, it was IEDs. Yeah, total, total different mindset. Yep, totally different type of warfare altogether. Yep, um, and that carried on until the end. They kept changing the way that they operated. The, the, it became far, far more dangerous. Yeah. Look at look um, at all the, the the things that we had to do to vehicles because of things yeah. like a uh, fishing wire that was being ran across the roads that you couldn't see. And it was taking off gunners heads. So we were having to put poles up to, yeah. to take out fishing wire and, you know, you know, the, the jammers. That was actually kind of fun. I enjoyed going through the villages and the towns. And you'd see people talking on their cell phones and we'd hit the jammers and they'd be like, yeah. oh, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. But, I mean, a country like Afghanistan, you, you, you get a phone signal everywhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right, they do. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like some African countries. Yeah. You only got, they got nothing, but at least they got a phone and a phone signal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you are right. And, and you know, the other thing you said, too, I never really thought about it until you said it, but, but you are right. You know, it used to be when the war first kicked off, you know, the first, I say, five, six years of the war, an IED went off and then it was followed with some sort of ambush uh, a, a attack. There was there was somebody there firing at you. Um, yeah. But after that it was an it was more like iraq it was uh an ied went off and there was nobody there you know and there's multiple id uh, yeah. IEDs as well that's that's that was the, that was the big problem it, it wasn't the first one the first one might have got a couple of blokes but it's the subsequent ones that were on the follow-ups that were getting hit as well yeah they were so they were multiple to like, uh, they, they started putting them in places like uh, roundabouts and stuff like that. And they would, they would light one off and then they would wait for the police and the paramedics and everything to get there. And they'd wait for the military to get there to, to secure and a few more. Yep. And then next thing you know, two, three and four of them are going off. So yeah. All in the RV areas. Yep. Yeah. So, so these buggers watch what you do. Yep. And then target where you're going. Yeah, I mean, it was trying to stay on top of it. Yeah, and particularly when you've had a rip, you've got yep. new guys coming in. Yeah, they they if they they either learn very very quickly, or they spend a lot of time in hospital. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, um, and and I said that same thing. You know, my last the right before I retired, we uh, my unit that I was in that was the first time they ever went to Afghanistan up to that mm. point. They had only been in Iraq. Yeah. yeah. And I told them, I said, look, I said, y'all are about to experience something that you've never seen before. 
it is different over there than it is Iraq. Yeah. Not the same no. thing. I, I, my, my tour of Iraq, I only did the one in 2003. Um, I went in on what we call Telic 3. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it, 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 I missed the war fighting stage because I'd just come out of um, Afghanistan. So I was on I was on uh, R&R retraining period. I missed Telic 2 um, and, and I went out on Telic 3. My, my role was to come up with a campaign to enhance the perception of the Iraqi police service in the eyes of the local population. Hmm. Good luck on that. I was on a hiding to nowhere. The Iraqi police service had been corrupt for decades yep. under Saddam Hussein. They, they, they were just, yeah. I had a good time, mind. <laughs> I made the most of it. Yep. <laughs> I, did, I did quite a bit of work with, um, I used to go up to a place called uh, Asamwa, where the Dutch were. And the Dutch were getting some Japanese, I think it were Japanese soldiers coming in, uh, Japanese engineer soldiers. First time the Japanese have operated outside Japan since the Second World War. We had to put a campaign in to inform the local population what these Japanese soldiers were coming to do. And we we had to keep them as safe as we possibly could. And they were going into a humanitarian project on a, um, I think, a water plant and a school. So there was a, a massive operation to keep these Japanese safe because the last thing we wanted is a Japanese soldier to get killed in Iraq. Yeah. And I think it worked. Um, I did a lot of work with the um, the Italians in Nazaria, which is a little bit further south than that. Um, it was on the way up to Baghdad. So, um, yeah, Nazaria was another hot spot. So Nazaria was brilliant because we used to work it that we, we'd go straight up to the, um, the Italians because the Dutch was a little bit too far to do in a day. So we... We stopped with the Italians overnight. <laughs> Good food and wine. <laughs> yep. Following day, we, we go up, spend the day with the Dutch, <laughs> getting getting ready for the, the, the Japanese and, and, and with the Japanese when they got there. Uh, and then in the afternoon, we come back down and spend another night with the Italians before coming back down to Basra. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like good times. But you know, I don't know about you, but the only time I really didn't like the convoys is when you went through the Iraqi police checkpoints. It seemed like those were the most dangerous times is when you were mm-hmm. at those checkpoints because like you said, they were the most corrupt, man. They would they would they would if you offered them enough money, they would set an IED for the next shift, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well well, we were okay. We 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 had if we would we we do that job we we went in two um we had two GMC envoys mm-hmm. sort of big V eight sort of pickup truck type things <laughs> we used to drive a hundred twenty mile an hour up the, the motorway yeah and there was nothing on the motorway I was doing hundred twenty mile an hour no problems at all we weren't paying for the gas 
<laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I also used to go down to uh, Umkazar and uh, down into Kuwait. We used to go down to Kuwait once, probably once a fortnight to, to take some printing down to get printed up down there and then bring the printing back to get distributed around the, the different battle groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went out to a place called um, Alamara. Now, we had to fly into Alamara because it was too dangerous to drive there. And I spent a few days up there um, and I nearly didn't come back. It was a pretty, pretty dangerous place. Um, we got into a, a bit of a scrap up there. Um, oh, the effects of marriage like oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. So, so Alamara was a dodgy place, and and we were in this village where um, the previous, I think, it was the previous year or the previous rotation six of our military police were killed in this village um and, and there was some guys that were based in this place here had a really really odd feeling about this this whole town um, and i went out on patrol with this um with a police chief of the area and uh, a few of his officers and yeah it was uh yeah it was pretty bloody scary um, I didn't like going up to uh, Alamara at all. Um, I didn't particularly like going into Basra City either. It was it was dodgy going in and out of there. But um, yeah, yeah I, I, I didn't have I didn't enjoy Iraq as much as I did Afghan. I would agree. Even though Afghanistan was more dangerous, yeah. I, I would rather have been in Afghanistan than Iraq. My my last tour. Um, 2008-9 um, was so much fun most of the time I say most of the time um, my job was to go around and install radio in a box by installing it I set a radio up in a box it's a commercial radio station 50 watt transmitter uh, that broadcast FM radio to the local population. It wasn't just putting the radio in it. I had to train up the interpreters to be DJs. I had to teach uh, the train up the guys that were looking after them how to be radio producers to produce some radio shows and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to install the music on Charmant. How it all worked. They had to download um jingles and messages off of the intranet to put onto the radio so i had to teach more of that uh, and, and I, I bounced around the whole of helmand um one week i'll be up in the right in the north at kajaki the next week i'll be right down the south in Garmasia. i've been sanging i spent quite a lot of time in sanging uh, right in the green zone um I spent quite a lot of time in patrol bases uh, with guys. Did a little bit of um, a few patrols. I only went out about four times um, in the whole tour. But I was going to go out on one one um, one patrol, but I got extracted 
um, trying to get helicopters around to get anywhere was a nightmare. So I've been in, been on um, this this patrol base for about a week and a bit, working with a mate of mine who I'd, I'd skied with. Um, mm-hmm. We've been at the Telemark Championships the previous year. Working with him and his guys, got them all set up, got this thing running, and the, the, this this particular patrol base used to get targeted quite a lot. And any time there was incoming, people would don their their body armor helmets, run to the north wall, jump on whatever <laughs> gun was there, and start opening up. Yeah. So if, if 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 there was a fifty cal free, you was onto that. If there was a, a minimum, you jump on it or the, the GPMG, or or if you if you weren't quick enough, you just have to take your rifle. <laughs> <laughs> and some lucky bucker might might occasionally jump on a javelin and and be able to fire a javelin. At, at, <laughs> uh, anyway, so this particular day we we were. We're all geared up to go out on this patrol, and I was going to go out on this patrol with them to do uh, go and interview um, the local um, village elder. But I got a message. Um, I had to fly out about half an hour before we were due to go out on this patrol. Sorry, I need to go. I've got. I had to go off and do another boss name. The guys went out on that patrol and they were killed. A whole section, whole whole fucking section was killed. I found out about three days later. Absolutely broke me. Yeah, absolutely broke me. I, 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 I was, I still, still feel really, really cut up about it to this day. Yeah. Um, and, and I should have been on that patrol. Um, yeah, Tom Sawyer is his name. Lovely, lovely bloke. Um, he died, but his, his guys, uh, they were blown up, basically, on a patrol. But, there, but for the grace of God and all that malarkey, I'm still here. Man, I have I've lost. I've lost so many blokes, so many mates over the years. It's it's. it's yeah. I'd say I, I've I've had two best mates. Um, one took his own life. Um, say, in two thousand and five, the eleventh of November two thousand and five, my wife died the tenth of November two thousand six. November's always been a tough month for me and my wife, my current wife. Yeah, I can understand. Um, but last year, um, uh, best mate, we, we, we've known each other since for I don't know, 40, 46 years. We've known each other. We, we've been in the same platoon um, way back in Gillingham. Um, holidays day of the year. He's up on the, the roof of his house, washing off his solar panels. He's tripped, fallen down. Hit the uh, conservatory, hit her car, put a big dent in the, in her car, uh, and, and smacked onto the pavement. The, the the fall didn't kill him; it was a stop at the bottom. Mm. Um, 
just across the road, there was uh, paramedics sat uh, having a break in an ambulance. Uh, they were on the scene within seconds. Too late. He, he was already dead. Yeah. They worked on him for three course now. Um, yeah, that was another tough one. Losing second best mate. You don't find best mates every day. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and guys that you've been through so much with, it's, it's, it's really difficult to lose them. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's something that, uh, it's, it, you just can't explain it to, to people that, that didn't serve, you know, they, they don't understand the, the closeness that, that is formed. You know, I, 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 like I tell people, you're closer than family. I don't care what anybody says, you know, blood doesn't mean anything at this point. You become to the point where, you know, look at somebody and just know, he's not doing okay. You get to that, that ability. And, uh, um, it is, it's, it's, it is tough because, uh, you build that bond. And then when you come back, um, whether it be because of orders or people getting out of the military, you know, you drift apart as far as physically apart, not, not so much close. You may still talk on the phone. You may still talk Facebook, but, uh, you know, we're, we're all trained that, you know, you just suck it up and drive on. And, and when you call, you're happy to hear each other. So you just talk about the happy stuff and mm. you bottle up the, the sad shit. I'll tell you what I find really, really funny is um, we have a regimental gathering. Uh, we have we have two or three dues a, a year, but, but the main regimental gathering is done up at a place called Duxford in, mm. in sort of just outside Cambridge every year. And it's where... The regiment comes together and it's our forebearer regiments as well because we're made up of nine county regiments but all seven battalions guys come together on this particular day um we have a drumhead service um and then we have i mean it's a picnic area and all the rest of it and occasionally more often than not you'll bump into somebody you haven't seen for 20 or 30 40 years and the, the, the thing that I find amazing is that you can look into the face, the old face in front of you, you can see the young face. <laughs> yep. When that old face, and then you'll pick up on a conversation that you had 30 or 40 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah talking, the same, talking the same shit. <laughs> and yeah. remembering some of the same incidents that, yeah. that you were involved in. And I think, I think that, for the the veteran community, particularly for for infantry types that come from uh, infantry regiments that spend a lot of time together, that is so so beneficial. Yeah, there's obviously one or two that you don't want to get mixed up with because they were twats back in the day and <laughs> they haven't changed much. <laughs> but generally, you 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 most guys are, are, are all right types. Yeah, it, it it is it is funny because there's times, well, hell, just like before the show started, I couldn't remember the name of Bagram. You know, mm. there there's times where that's um, a hell of a dust hole in it. <laughs> it. It is, you know, and, and there's times that I'll be telling a story, 
and I'll get halfway through it and I'll be like, oh shit, no, that wasn't Iraq. That was Afghanistan or, or that wasn't Afghanistan. That was Iraq. But there'll be times that I can remember to the detail of conversations that I had with soldiers and just funny stories. You know, I, I just, I remember a bit that me and uh, another staff sergeant did while we were at training, we were teasing a kid that was from Arkansas and, and uh, we were joking with him and we told him that uh, he was from Arkansas, not Arkansas. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we, we, we said, do you know how, um, you know how they named your state? And we did this bit about the Hatfields and the McCoys. And um, we act, we said that the sheriff came in and he, and uh, we decided the, the Hatfield said, look, you stay on your side of Kansas and we'll stay on our side of our Kansas. And that's how <laughs> Arkansas was born. <laughs> yeah. And I still remember it to this day of this whole bit and there, everybody in the, in the, the bay was there and they all had their phones out was recording. I wish I had the video to this day because it was just absolutely <laughs> hilarious. And uh, he would oh, Kansas. Yeah, he would get so mad because of us calling it uh, Arkansas instead of Arkansas. But well, uh, was it wasn't it Willie Nelson that's uh, or was it um, Chris Christopherson that sold about the um, or was it Waylon Jennings, the Hatfields and McCoys in the song? Uh, I think it was Waylon Jennings. I think Waylon Jennings. Yeah, mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the outlaws. Yep. Yeah, it was a, uh, but it is funny, you know. I, I, I spent sixty-eight months deployed, total, out of my twenty years that I did, and uh, the I just I was in and out so much, you know. I, most of my deployments was done during uh, with a, a special ops unit, so we would do three months, five months, six months, whatever. They were never long stints. So it was over and back, over and back. And I just, I kept going so much. I just, I get them mixed up on the years and the times and the locations and shit. And I'm just getting old too. So that doesn't help. But, uh, but yeah, I can, I can still remember funny stories. I remember one day I was on duty sitting outside the barracks and I want, I seen this private come running out of the barracks and uh, run into another barracks because all the barracks was in a row. And I'm watching, I'm like, what is he doing? He came, he ran in one door, came running out the other door and there was a guy chasing him. And it turned out it was an E7 chasing this private. Um, and the reason he was chasing him is when he got home, he caught him with his daughter. So he was chasing him, <laughs> trying to shoot his ass. <laughs> and I was on duty sitting there watching this one. What the hell? He this private's fast too, man. He was in and out of like three different barracks. Missy Seven's running, chasing him. You know, <laughs> the things that you see is just uh, hilarious. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, yeah. I, I can probably recount a, a, a thousand funny incidents over the years. Yeah, you, you, you just, you just have some funny things that go on. We did um, Gibraltar. We flew down to Gibraltar. We flew down in Hercules from from England. Mm-hmm. Um, we 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 left here in the March, and it was bitterly bloody cold. So we've got combats on. We've got we've got long johns on underneath. We've got thermals on. We've got big woolly jumpers, combat jackets, 
all our kit and everything like that. We're flying down in this hurt, taking forever. <laughs> and uh, and as we're coming down into to 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 land at Gibraltar, and when Gibraltar there's a landing strip, you've got to come in over the, the sea to land on this little tiny strip. It started raining inside the Hercules, <laughs> the C one thirty. So so we we're starting to get wet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as it's landed, the back doors have opened, <laughs> and all you see is this heat haze coming off of, off of the tarmac. <laughs> and as it's taxiing around, you can feel the heat coming to the back of this hook. <laughs> and we've we've done up in winter gear, and the sergeant majors is is saying, "Right, get all your kit together." So you got you got your packs on in your your, your bags. <laughs> Going to march off to the terminal. So yeah. we've, we've come off the back of this Hercules. <laughs> we've got about two hundred meters or so to go to the to the terminal. So we managed to get us all stood there by the right quick march. <laughs> we we ain't got fifty meters. These blokes dropping like flies all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> and just 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 before we got to the terminal itself, the salt age got done as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've never seen anything like it in your life. The <laughs> kitten blokes all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to tag it. <laughs> oh dear. And then and then every every day we were we were on Gibraltar, they made us bloody run up this sodding rock. Um, and then we were some of us did the what they call the convent guard, which is guarding the the governor's house. Mm -hmm. So you've got the governor's house on one side, you've got the guard room on the other side, and the road between the two, and and uh, and you got. Um, Tourists up and down the road all day long, uh, taking pictures of the guy that's on on the on the guard light. So we've got white tunics on and blue trousers for this this particular ceremonial guard. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the guys across the road in the guard room. When you get a, a crowd of tourists around you, they're like doing moons at you and and doing all stupid <laughs> things trying to make you laugh <laughs> for the cameras. <laughs> Uh, and you and you, you stood there <laughs> and you're melting because <laughs> it's so bloody hot. <laughs> you got people showing their ass and you can't laugh or anything, huh? Yeah, yeah. So they're being all serious. <laughs> uh, and, and to stop yourself laughing, you have to march up and down. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make. You know, I've only seen. I've only seen videos and and stuff like that on TV. But there's no way I'd be be able to keep that straight face the whole time. Yeah, I wouldn't do it. But when I worked in London, I was. I had the opportunity. Although I wasn't a guard, <laughs> I was a welfare officer for the guards, and um, <clears throat> having been in the job for about a year really got the angle what went on um and and i was able to go and do uh, senior sergeant on all the, the four different guards so i did buckingham palace as senior sergeant 
I did uh, St. James's Palace, I did the Tower of London, and I did Windsor Castle as senior sergeant, standing in for the, the, the sergeant, because they were franked. I mean, this, this, this is from sort of 2000. I came back from uh, Afghanistan in 2009 um, in June, and then I started this job in London on the 1st of September. 2009 by 2010 i'm starting to do in a few guards just to help the blokes out because they're still we're sending fit guys to afghanistan we're getting broken guys back and occasionally didn't have enough people to to mount the guard so i'd do a standing and it was great for me because i was working with the lads getting to know the lads and all the rest of it being their welfare officer looking after their their welfare and all the rest of it mm. so i've got to do different, different guards and then it came to stuff like the Queen's Birthday Parade and um, Remembrance, the Festival of Remembrance, stuff like that. And I managed to worm my way into, particularly on the Queen's Birthday Parade. So the, the Queen's Birthday Parade, there was there was three parades over three weekends. You've got the, um, the Colonel's Review, the Major General's Review, and then the Queen's Birthday Parade. So the Colonel's Review... It's, a, it's like a, a rehearsal, a full rehearsal. We've got the, the public there and everything like that. And um, I, I managed to blag this job working on what they call the North Door. So guests of honour and that would come in through the North Door and they go up the stairs to the General's office that looks out over horse guards. This, this office, the General's office, used to be Wellington's office. So General Wellington... This was his office in horse guards. So I managed to blag this job. And um, on the actual Queen's birthday parade, we, we we hand over that north door to some of the other guys and we'd go upstairs and you've got this corridor and they've got a bell tower uh, that goes between um, the general's office one side and the Wellington room the other side. And And our job was to stop people coming through get into the minor royals mm. <laughs> so, so we've got the likes of kate camilla um i think one time we had megan there we had uh, harry was up there we had the the, the yorks the gloucesters the kents mm. um, the wessexes so all the minor royals they would be in the general's office looking out over horse guards while the queen and the rest of them were downstairs doing the the, 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 the queen's birthday parade troop in the colour. So I managed to blag that job and we did that every year. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we start the day off, we'd be downstairs. What we do, we get all the guys that were working the stands, so all the ushers, we 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 called the role for them we work with the, the the chief usher so make sure that everybody knows what they're doing where they've got to be in it etc then we go and check the north door and the stairs and all the rest of it and the security piece on that so we had a fantastic time working that that does sound like a good time yeah so so i got to meet all the minor royals I met the queen on several occasions um so Duke of Edinburgh got presented to him a few times. He was a proper wag, he was. 
Um, we were doing they 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 have a beating retreat the 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 two Thursdays before um, the the major generals and the queen's birthday parade. On the Thursday evening, they have mass bands doing something on all scars. Uh, they call it beating the retreat. <clears throat> queen's birthday one, um, the queen and the duke of Edinburgh, they come and watch it from the general's office. Or they come up there beforehand before they go downstairs and watch it from out there. So I'm on the stairs. <laughs> and and the, and the Queen and Prince Philip are coming up the stairs. <laughs> Prince Philip, he turns to me. What are you doing here, Colour? I said, I'm waiting for you to come up the stairs, sir. Make sure you don't fall over. He says, <laughs> you funny sod. <laughs> and then and then did you see the picture where i showed you um have a nice day yep yep that's at the the, the field of remembrance at westminster abbey and that's on the thursday before the remembrance weekend so this my regiment uh gave me the honor of being presented so generally you've got people behind You've got all the, the, the crosses and everything laid out, the whole, every regiment and service. In the, so you've got the Royal Navy, you've got the uh, the Army and the, the Air Force, uh, are all, all represented at the Field of Remembrance. So I've got the honour from my regiment to, to stand in front of our regimental plot and be presented to the um, Duke of Edinburgh. And at that time, it was Harry. So... so Duke of Edinburgh is coming along. I've thrown him one up. <laughs> what are you doing here, Colour? Representing my regiment, sir. <laughs> Very good, he says. I moved on. <laughs> so so what normally happened after after the field of remembrance, the guys that come down from the regiment, we'll go across into um the farmers club. Um, over just off of Whitehall, and and have a, a bit of a lunch and uh, and a drink afterwards. Yeah, so I, I when I was in London, I did I, I was in London for eight years, uh, from two thousand nine to two thousand eighteen when I retired, and um, I took so so many liberties. I was yeah. hoping to find the uh, I got a, I got a great picture of me. Um, have you have you seen the Festival of Remembrance at the Albert Hall? I have not. Okay, right. The Festival of Remembrance at the Albert Hall. The Albert Hall is a massive, great hall, um, and they have a Festival of Remembrance, bands playing and stuff like that. And the, the Chelsea pensioners come down the stairs, march across, go and stand in, the, go and sit in the stands, uh, and then you get different pieces. And you get the bands playing and stuff like that. And then uh, towards the end, you've got the actual festival, uh, the, the act of remembrance. So all the troops come in and 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 form up while they do the, the remembrance piece. <clears throat> so the garrison sergeant major stands at the top of the stairs and these curtains open and the different groups going down. So the Chelsea pensioners going down these stairs. My job, <laughs> get this. I'm on the curtain. I'm opening the curtain. <laughs> I'm on one side of the curtain. My opposite's on the other side of the curtain. We open the curtains. 
<laughs> the girls are so much as telling them to march down the stairs. So I, I can't. I, I was trying to find it, but I couldn't find it. But I've got this. 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 There's a picture of me with the Chelsea pensioners going down. You can see the poppy, the, the stage, and everything at the back there. And there's me going <laughs> in my in my full blues uniform, medals on, and everything. This one up here, <laughs> the blues there. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, just the terrific. Yeah, well, it was so so funny. Yeah. <clears throat> but nowadays, I'm still, although I'm retired, I'm still a mess member, and I'm a mess member of the senior senior rates mess in the British forces. Oh, okay. I'm a member of HMS Victory. Senior rates mess. Huh. So HMS Victory, as you know, is a still a fully commissioned warship. It's the oldest commissioned warship in the world. Wow, that is and awesome. I'm, now I'm a member of the mess. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, Tim, let me ask you this. Tell everybody where they can find your podcast if they want to listen to it. I know I've got the link going down here, but is there a specific place that you post them? Or well, they can they can dive onto YouTube, and they can find me on YouTube if they type in Tim Hill nine. Nine is my scrum off number. <laughs> it's my rugby playing number, which is a scrum off. So Tim Hill nine, or they can put in. Ordinary People's Extraordinary Stories, they'll find it there. Or they can find it on Everyday Conversations Regarding Mental Health. Or if they go onto any of the major podcast apps, uh, they want to listen to what I do, uh, again, put in Tim Hill 9 or Everyday Conversations Regarding Mental Health or Ordinary People's Extraordinary Stories, you'll find me there. All right. Well, Tim, I appreciate you coming on. Um, if you don't mind hanging, we're going to go ahead and throw the uh, exit video up. And uh, I appreciate everybody that was tuning in and listening. I had I, an amazing time. I, I've had a fun time. I've really enjoyed myself. So I, we've been talking about my favorite subject, <laughs> me. <laughs> oh, just just on top of the ball there uh -huh. is a bearskin. Is a what? A bear skin. A Would bear you like to touch my bear skin? <laughs> there you go. Full on, full on. God's bear skin. Yep. <laughs> I think as I think one of the pictures I used, you were actually wearing one. I think yeah. one of the pictures I was using for uh, um, for the preview for this episode. You had a trophy next to you. I think you were wearing one of those. I'm, I may have been wearing the um, the cap. Yeah, yeah, you might have been actually. Now that I think, about it, I might have been. been in the blues. That one's yep. blues. Yep. You <laughs> might have been. Now that I think about it, you might have having been. a big, big, big trophy, which is the I think it might have been the Guinness Rugby. It was. Uh, it Premiership was. Rugby. Yep. Yeah, I remember. I was saying, in absolute blitz on that. I tell you. I got the opportunity for, for 
for the best part of 12 years, I was responsible for finding guys to go out onto the pitch at Twickenham, mainly Twickenham, for, mm-hmm. for all the England rugby games to take out the flags uh, prior to the game. So just before the games, you've got the, 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 the England flag and then you've got the opponent's flag. And I generally beg to go on the opponent's flag because I've done it so many times. But I used to have to find, on average, about 32 guys per game. And then at the end of the season, uh, the, the regular season, premiership season, we also got the opportunity to do a bit of flag stuff, but also uh, a couple of people to take out the, the, the premiership trophy. Now, my team uh, that I support is Northampton Saints, and they were up against the Saracens. Now, Saracens, I mean, they, 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 they were the top team, but Northampton Saints, it went to 100 minutes. This game, normally 80 minutes. It went to 100 minutes. I'm stood on the sideline, mate, to take out this, this, this bloody great big trophy in bits <laughs> watching this. And it's gone right down to the actual wire. The clock had gone red. <laughs> they, they were still three points behind. They backed themselves. They totally backed themselves. They could have drew, drew the game and won it if they had by taking the three points. But they went for the five and the, and, and the two. Man. Clock's gone red. They've got the ball over the line. And they kicked the conversion. 24-20. I, was, I almost couldn't do the job. <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was so emotionally charged up by this. <laughs> Stood on the bloody sidelines waiting this game from 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 the the end of the game at eighty minutes and they've gone to hundred and we're still there waiting and it was such an exciting game. Yeah, I was I was I was you know it was really really I, I had to muster everything I could just to mount this bloody great big this cup out onto the pitch. <laughs> uh, what a great day that was. Yeah, I bet I bet. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big American football fanatic, so I love the I love the Cincinnati Bengals, and I'm the same way. Well, the game back in the day when I was in Berlin, that's when I first started watching the American football because that's the only telly that we could get the AF the, the, the AFN back then on Forces Network, mm-hmm. and um, I followed the old Dallas Cowboys mm-hmm. and also the the Houston Oilers. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. What they were then. Yeah, I kind of followed it for, for quite a lot of years. And um nineteen eighty eight, it's probably eighty seven, I started playing American football. Um and I played for a team in, in England called the Milton Keynes Pioneers. And in nineteen eighty eight we've become conference championship, uh, conference champions. We won that year. And That's I awesome. used to play uh, outside linebacker or defensive end. Okay. And then the following year, 89, I got an opportunity. Mate of mine said, look, we're short of some players. Come play for us. And he played for a team, I think, a, a division or two divisions down from us um, called the Chilton Cheaters. So I went and played for them. 
I had an absolute field day. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, when you get a big kid plays with a load of small kids, yeah, and, and they just annihilate them. I was, I was like that kid. <laughs> I, 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 I had about. I had about half a dozen sacks to my name. <laughs> I was smoking people left, right, and Chelsea. I had a fantastic game. <laughs> You're like, I want this for every weekend. <laughs> yeah, why can't I do this for the Pioneers every week? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, uh, yeah, come up against the big boys. <laughs> Joel's got a question for you. He wants to know if you ever went to Edinburgh Military Tattoo. Old Edinburgh, yeah, up the tattoo. Yeah, that's quite a fun, fun time. I did it once while I was in London. Um, the uh, because we were looking after the the three incremental companies, so we had three incremental companies of foot guards, nine making company grenadier guards, number seven company Coldstream guards, and F company Scots guards. But we also had the five foot guards bands, which took in the the Welsh and the Irish guards. So the Scots guards band, um, I did a bit of work with, and they were going up to play at the Edinburgh tattoo, military tattoo. And um, they said, look, we've got a spare place on the coach. Did you want to come up for a couple of days? It's a Pope Catholic. <laughs> so, so I went up and... Uh, I was behind the scenes for for the Edinburgh military tattoo. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Now the only downside, right, to the Edinburgh military tattoo, is that they play an awful lot of bloody bagpipes. A load <laughs> of cat stranglers. God, what a bloody horrible den that is. Other <laughs> <laughs> than that, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Yeah, I, uh, 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 yeah, no I fun could, at all. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, Tim, I appreciate you coming on. Um, like I said, if you don't mind staying for just a quick second, we'll throw the exit video up. And uh, no problem at all. Thank you so much for having me, Donald. I've, hey, I've had a ball. I've had a whale of a time. Me too. Me too. Joel and uh, Brian and everybody that listened, I appreciate y'all for coming on. Y'all take care and uh, be safe. We'll see y'all, uh, I believe Wednesday is the next uh, show. Y'all take care. Be safe.